Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And because we haven't covered movies to any great extent in a little while, with the exception of a brief examination of John Boyega's comments on Star Wars and Disney and how dissatisfied he was with that entire process, we're going to talk about movies in general. For those of you that didn't see over the past couple of days, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, finally announced what they had been working on for apparently a number of years. Or as CNN Entertainment puts it, the Oscars make inclusion a requirement for Best Picture consideration beginning in 2024 in what represents the most direct link between the movie industry's top prize and efforts to promote diversity and address systemic issues the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced Tuesday that movies must meet certain criteria in terms of representation in order to be eligible for the Academy Award for Best Picture beginning in 2024. And presumably that kind of heads up was given because movies are in production right now and can't really change their back office. And of course, 2020 being 2020. So what you've got now is the Academy Awards requiring, before they will consider a motion picture as the quote-unquote best, certain representation. And we will see. We're going to go over these rules. We're going to talk about various aspects of these things because a number of you have asked me whether or not this is legal, whether or not this is problematic with respect to the Civil Rights Act or anything like that. We're going to talk about the legalities here. Short answer, yes, it's very likely legal. Doesn't mean people couldn't potentially challenge it in the future, but in general, the law doesn't so much care about awards being handed out by private bodies like the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Now, before we get into that, before we start talking about legality, how these rules work, what they're trying to address, one thing I want to put out front are my own biases. People always ask me about these questions on a kind of overall level, a metacontextual level, if you will. And I will tell you right now, that I don't really care about the Academy Awards. I don't really care about the Oscars. I've talked about them in this space, but truthfully, I don't think that the Oscars have awarded the same best picture as my personal best picture since maybe Return of the King. And so from that perspective, I look at this and I say, you know, I don't love the Oscars. They don't really award the best picture to what I think earned best picture for that year. So they're welcome to award whatever they want in whatever manner they want, but I don't really reflect on best picture in the same way that so many folks around the country, maybe around the world do, and say that the Academy Awards represent what the best output was for that year. In the same breath, I'm not really a big fan of characterizing an award as something that is the best of its kind and then also having little qualifiers under it. So I look at this and say best is a meritocracy that at the end of the day, you've got however many films you are reviewing at the Academy Awards, and something is going to be the best. And whether or not it is the best really doesn't depend on who made it or who's in it or how it was marketed, as we will see, is one of the rules. But again, on the other side of the coin, I think they are more than free to choose whatever criteria they want. I just think that if you are looking at this from the outside— Everyone that is now going to evaluate the best pictures from 2024 and beyond say, well, it's the best picture, but maybe it's only the best picture that qualifies for these various buckets in which the Academy Awards wishes to place their motion pictures. Now, in terms of legality, a number of you have come out and have talked to me about this, have actually talked to me about this for a couple of years, and we will talk about why in just a second, and said, Rick, is this a problem? 
You know, we see lawsuits all the time about affirmative action, about various things that are done in various locales, in various states across the country. And the answer to that is no, this isn't in general the same kind of issue that we see in those kinds of cases, right? Most of those are brought under the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And they're brought because they say no state shall deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws or also sometimes the due process of the law. You saw this in the affirmative action cases at Michigan Law School. My alma mater, which was actually going on while I was there, I was actually in constitutional law class while a New York Times reporter was reporting on how the Michigan Law Administration and student body was taking the advancement of that case. Uh, in which the Supreme Court ultimately decided that certain aspects of taking race into account in the admissions at a law school were acceptable if they were done in certain specific ways. But that was a state action, the University of Michigan being a state school. And here we have the Academy, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. They aren't the state. As big and as powerful and as rich as they might be and as culturally influential as they might be, they aren't the state. So the 14th Amendment doesn't come in and say much if anything, about them. The other places we see this is with respect to the Civil Rights Act, right? You've seen us talk about this in this space. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act says, it shall be unlawful employment practice for an employer to fail or refuse to hire or otherwise to discriminate against an individual with respect to compensation, terms, conditions, privileges of employment based on such individual's race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. This is one of the big kind of controversial cases that the Supreme Court addressed earlier this year. But you'll note there isn't an employment relationship here. The Academy is just putting forth an award, essentially a certificate that you can put on your wall. There are award ceremonies throughout the country every day of the year, seemingly. This just happens to be a very big, very televised, very public version of that same practice. So in general, the law says, okay, well, bodies, you can be as racist or as sexist or whatever that you want, as long as it isn't impacting the actual employment of the individuals under your purview. Now, you might also say that isn't exactly the case, right, Rick? You can't be as racist or as sexist as you want when you go to a hotel or you go to a restaurant. And indeed, that's what the Civil Rights Act was primarily aimed at in certain important facets back in the 1960s. And indeed, when we get to Title II, we see that there's a prohibition against discrimination or segregation in places of public accommodation. All persons shall be entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, and accommodations of any place of public accommodation without discrimination. Now, you'll note, actually, in this particular section, sex isn't included, and that could potentially come up. But ultimately, we probably aren't talking about a place of public accommodation, right? We're talking about an Academy Award, the Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Academy. Now, interestingly, public accommodations do include, in general, motion picture houses, theaters, concert halls, sports arenas, stadiums, or other places of exhibition or entertainment. So the actual functioning of the industry of motion picture distribution of you going and getting a chance to go see it is covered by this law. If you want to go to your local AMC or whatever your local theater is, they can't discriminate against you because of this law based on those specific characteristics. But the motion picture academy, well, they're not a place of public accommodation. In fact, they are what we might consider a private club. The provisions of this subchapter shall not apply to a private club. Now, notably, and this has been covered to death in the various writings on this law, that isn't a defined term here. Private club is something that you can argue about if you are in a court of law on this particular uh, 
case. And so what we've got here is we've got the most private of clubs, the the Hollywood glitterati saying, you know what, we can decide, we can determine who we are going to award and why. And at the end of the day, from a legal perspective, and, and there will undoubtedly be instances where various parties and various groups will potentially threaten to litigate on these various things. It will take somebody that feels that they got left out of the equation because the academy disagreed with how they interpreted some of the rules, et cetera, et cetera. But it probably will happen that at the end of the day, this is likely broadly legal. Now, does that mean that it comports with the spirit of things like the 14th Amendment. We've talked a lot about the spirit of the First Amendment, that Google and YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook are free to kill speech that they don't like, but they also are free to market themselves as saying that they are in favor of the freedom of speech. And should the Academy of Arts and Sciences and everything else say that they are in favor of equal protection, in favor of these various concepts of colorblindness. In, in my opinion, I think that would be beneficial to their overall purpose of giving out awards to the best of things, but they're free to choose what they want to choose. And why did they choose this particular method? Well, to understand that, you have to go back a couple of years. I've pulled up a New York Times article called The Hashtag That Changed the Oscars, an oral history, and subheaded five years ago, hashtag Oscars so white rewrote the narrative in an industry with entrenched disparities. Here, Spike Lee, Ava DuVernay, and other insiders tell the story as they lived it. Congratulations to those men. A month ago, exactly three seconds after she'd announced a list of Oscar nominees for Best Director that excluded women, the writer and actress Isa Rae appended those four words, an indictment sheathed in a ribbon of praise. Congratulations to those men. Before Oscars So White, a social justice campaign that began five years ago last month, earlier this year, the fact that 92% of top film directors were men and 86% of top films featured white actors in the lead roles, a pattern dating back decades, did not often dominate entertainment news, least of all on Hollywood's biggest night. And Hollywood, and more particularly the Oscars, the Academy, have been dealing with this shadow over themselves for the intervening number of years. Now, you can agree with it. You can disagree with it. The point that I'm making is that they felt it was important and they've been trying to deal with the aftermath for some time, which led us to today, or more specifically, this week, where they adopted what they're calling the Aperture 2025 initiative to require their best picture nominees to comport with these rules. Now, one of the reasons I did this video is because I love looking at rules. I love looking at their unintended consequences. I love looking at what they mean, how they were drafted, how they will impact the people that have to try to comply with them. And one of the things we will see, as you can probably already tell just from the thumbnail and description of this video, is that the Academy here is trying to have it both ways. They are trying to have it so that they look like they are doing something to address this issue and not really have to do anything to address the issue. Now, the problem with that is that the fundamental issue that's facing the academy here is that they are getting political flack for the actual contours of the nominations they are making, of the actuality 
of who is nominated for Best Director, of the actuality of who is nominated for Best Picture. And so one of the things that surprises me here, because I do think these rules are pretty ineffectual to accomplish any change to what is otherwise happening at the Academy Awards or has happened at the Academy Awards for the past decade, is that by having ineffectual rules, you maybe get credit for them right now, but it's unlikely to actually change the composition of the awards and the nominations that you are making. So ultimately, this will come out in the wash. This will continue to be a problem for the Oscars. Only now you have set up this notion that Best Picture doesn't necessarily have to be Best Picture. And those that were otherwise inclined to ditch you are probably going to do so at this juncture. This is another exit ramp for people to say, well, that's not really the Best Picture. And so we can just ignore the Oscars and the Academy Awards. And you run this very real risk and corporations and companies and entities deal with these kinds of things all the time where you make a change in your branding or in the way that you function and you have to evaluate those costs and benefits. And here, I think while trying to achieve a best of both worlds setup, the academies actually maybe found themselves in a worst of both worlds setup. And the reason for that really lies in the rules themselves. So I pulled up the Variety article that did the best job of kind of showing what these rules are. Beginning in 2024 for the 96th Oscars, a film submitting for Best Picture will need to meet the inclusion thresholds by meeting two of the four standards. That's the important thing to remember in the back of your mind. When we go over this list, they can skip two of them entirely. And as we will see, there are actually options within each of the standards that they can choose and pick between. But they can skip two entirely. They only have to meet two. And as we will see, at least two of them jump out to me as being fairly easy to meet and probably are already met and if they are already met, then it doesn't solve any problem that Oscar otherwise would be seeking to solve. The standards are as follows. Standard A. Now, this is the big top line item. This is the one that got reported on the most. This is the biggest deal. This is the one that actually talks about the stories that Hollywood is to tell. To achieve standard A, the film must meet one of the following criteria. Lead or significant supporting actors. At least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. And you can see how they define those things. There is a little bit of wiggle room with other underrepresented race or ethnicity. Certainly this isn't designed to cover you know, various European ethnicities, but there is that legal wiggle room there to say, well, you know, maybe somehow German heritage is underrepresented and, a, and an enterprising lawyer for one of the smaller studios might try that kind of thing. I think they'd get whapped on the nose. But ultimately... You have to have a lead or significant supporting actor, no real definition given to significant, that is in an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Or you have to have 30% of your actors in secondary and more minor roles from at least two of the following underrepresented groups, which is women. And we're going to see that pop up again and again. Racial or ethnic groups, LGBTQ+, or people with cognitive or physical disabilities, 30% of the, your minor cast or your main storyline or subject matter is centered on an underrepresented group. That's one of those areas where the actual story will change. So you've got your, your leads, your significant supporting roles, presumably the kind of supporting role that you would nominate for best supporting actor, your general ensemble, or your main storyline. 
And I think standard A will be achieved effectively by accident, right? If you are already doing a story that is based on an underrepresented group, if you've already covered one of these things, if you're making Black Panther 2, unfortunately, a lot more difficult now after the passing of Chadwick Boseman, or if you've just already cast something that meets these requirements, well, then you can check off the box for A. But it's probably not going to move Hollywood very strongly in any given direction because this requires actual change, changing casting protocols, changing what you might otherwise do. And in general, what we will see in these rules is that they're designed to not require a studio to change if they don't want to change. Then we get to standard B, creative leadership and project team. Again, to achieve this standard, the film must only meet one of the criteria below. And here's your big silver bullet. At least two of the following creative leadership positions and department heads out of Casting director, cinematographer, composer, costume designer, director, editor, hairstylist, makeup artist, producer, production designer, set decorator, sound, VFX supervisor, and writer are from the following underrepresented groups, including women, right? So if we include women in that categorization, do a number of these areas jump out at you? They jumped out at me. Casting directors, hairstylists, makeup artists, And then you've got a lot of extra wiggle room here. Now, there is an extra criteria. Can't just be women. Can't be two white women in particular that that control these two roles to get you in a qualification to be one. At least one of the positions must belong to the following underrepresented racial or ethnic groups. And then they list those in the same way that they do under category A. But ultimately, this is one that is very likely to be met, again, by studios already operating or by studios that just kind of accidentally meet these criteria, right? If we go and we look at the statistics here, and I've pulled up this from a website called Women and Hollywood, which is uh, looks to be like a, a some kind of non-profit group that is trying to get these things changed at the Oscar level, trying to get these things changed at the Hollywood level. You see what they are aimed at. They have the top 300 films from 2016 to 2018. 82% of producers were male with only 17.9% female. were from underrepresented racial or ethnic groups. You go down the line, you get all of this. Directors of photography, 97% male, 3% female, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What they are aimed at. Then you get to these bullets. 78.5% of all hair department heads were women. 76.4% of makeup department heads were women. There were 275 individuals credited as costume designers. 84.4% were female. I don't know exactly why they changed the language there. 380 casting directors were credited. 83% of those positions were filled with women and 16.6% were filled with men. You've got these categories right now because they are baked in to the overall problems that folks have, right? Oscars so white, as told to us by the New York Times, was concerned with directors and was concerned with producers and was concerned with some of these more top of the line kind of named titles in the production. But what the actual Academy has done by lumping all of these groups together is allow you to say, okay, well, we've got a a woman casting director and hairstylist and makeup artist, or even one or more of those. And then if we happen to have a VFX supervisor or a writer or a set decorator or a producer, right? We can have a lot of producers producing a movie. So maybe we have a producer that's a woman. And then all we have to do is we have to make sure that one is in an underrepresented ethnic group. And we have automatically qualified for one of the two factors. And that's a done deal. So you look at this and you say, ah, that's 
pretty easy to do. The studios don't actually have to change very much. Now, there are other ways to comply with Section B. You can put at least six other crew team and technical positions from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Women don't count for that purpose. Or in your overall crew composition. At least 30% of the film's crew is women, racial or ethnic groups that are underrepresented, LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera. So by far the easiest one that we have seen so far is this creative leadership and department heads because there are just so many heads available. Producer is easy to have. Just have uh, somebody that fills this position for you. Casting director, hairstylist, makeup artist. You don't have to change if you don't want to, which means that ultimately... At Oscar in 2024 and beyond, this rule doesn't really appear to result in many changes to your nominations or your likely best picture winners, etc., etc. Now, we'll get back to standard C in just a second. Standard D has a very similar kind of issue. The studio and or film company has multiple in-house senior executives on their marketing, publicity, and or distribution teams. Now, there's so many defined terms that are at issue here, right? The studio or film company So one or the other, if you've got a distribution partner or a production company that's your partner, has multiple in-house senior executives. Multiple isn't defined. A good lawyer would argue that that's two. In-house senior executives, well, you can slap senior on any title that you want. And then marketing, publicity, and distribution teams are already likely to have significant female presence, that you're trying to hit all audiences. When you're in the business of marketing a major film or even a minor film, you're trying to identify the audiences that you can market them to. You are very likely to have a more diverse setup in this particular office, if nothing else, because you are trying to attract those audiences. And and it would surprise me if a lot of these studios didn't already have this kind of makeup in their marketing and distribution teams already. And since you only have to have a couple of in-house senior executives at the studio or film company level to meet this requirement, then D is very likely to be met basically automatically. No change required. Now, let's say you don't meet those things. Let's say that you don't have everybody that you need in section B, or you don't have a marketing department in section D that meets that standard. Well, like any good Hollywood story, there's always the option to pay. Standard C says, if you achieve both of these criteria, you're also good. Paid apprenticeships. The film's distribution or financing company has paid apprenticeships or internships that are from the following underrepresented groups and satisfy the criteria below. Women, racial or ethnic groups, LGBTQ, and people with cognitive or physical disabilities. If you pay for internships for any of these groups, you're good. Now, you do have to be a little bit more careful when you start talking about this because you start to get into those employer practices. You start to actually start to have the connection that could potentially have a legal ramification. So maybe you start to get concerned about these things. You can't specifically ask for certain ethnic groups. You can't specifically ask for only women in these kinds of roles, although certainly some employers will nevertheless do that kind of thing. And you also have to pay for training opportunities and skill developments of your crew. The film's production, distribution, and or financing company offers training and or work opportunities for below-the-line skill development to people from the following underrepresented groups, same underrepresented groups that we have talked about before. So at the end of the day, what you've got here is this top-line item, which is what everybody wants to focus on, what the Academy wants you to focus on, which is, hey, we need more underrepresented leads or underrepresented supporting actors, a bigger general ensemble that is more underrepresented, or hey, the main storyline should cover these kinds of issues. They want you to focus on A, 
but nobody's going to meet A if they don't have to. Then standard B comes in and says, well, what you're already doing, probably already good enough. Maybe make a tweak or two to how your actual motion picture production staff is in fact staffed and you'll be good there. You can always pay if you're not otherwise compliant with everything else. And then, oh, by the way, when you sell these movies, make sure there are some women on your team. And so what you've got here is you've got a very hollow promise to change whatever it is you might think is problematic about the way the Motion Picture Academy currently functions. And like so many Hollywood materials, the reason it feels hollow, the reason it feels like a remake from perhaps something foreign or maybe something British is because it is, right? I mentioned earlier in this video that I would talk about the fact that a number of you have come to me in the past couple of years and asked me to talk about whether or not the BFI diversity standards were legal. And I commented to you in DMs in various places, either in the comments to my videos or elsewhere, and I said, look, this is a British standard. There are various British rules and laws that I'm not going to be comfortable talking about with in, in various spaces, but overall, this is what the Academy clearly based their own standards on. But what you will see here, if you go through this document, and like everything else, we will link this in the description, is that this is significantly harsher. What you might consider to be better if you want these rules to be more effective. But the Academy didn't want them to be effective. They wanted them to look like they were effective without actually having to have the studios change anything about the way they operate. You can see this everywhere. To achieve standard A, you need to meet three of these criteria, which match up with these things. To achieve standard B, you will need to meet two of the criteria below, including three heads of development, uh, heads of department or creative leadership and other key roles and other project staff and then regional employment because BFI does like to make sure that the movies are made in England. Industry access and opportunities, that kind of training component, audience development, these are the same rules that the Academy just adopted, even though it took them years to do so, except they are much harsher. To achieve standard D, you will need to meet three of the criteria below. You will need to meet two of the criteria below. You have to do these various things much more significantly than the Academy here would have their studios do them. And why? Why? Because change is always expensive. You don't necessarily have to believe that these studios are trying to keep people down, are trying to be Oscars so white, to understand a fundamental aspect of economics and just human inertia, which is that change is expensive. Whether or not that means changing the entire operations of the way you make movies or changing the menu at your local diner, it is an expensive process. And so the Academy here has clearly gone and said, well, we've got a public relations problem. And we're going to try to correct that public relations problem by adopting rules like this one. But don't worry, studios, we're not going to actually try to impose significant change upon you. So you're probably going to be fine operating the way that you are operating. And to my eye, even as someone who basically never matches up with what the Oscars or the Academy wants to tell me is the best picture of the year, I look at this and say, well, you've totally screwed up. Because now you've got articles and various things and various political corners of the internet saying, oh, you guys are too woke. You're trying to do these various things. You're trying to limit what a best picture actually is and can be. You've, you've earned that publicity because you are trying to make that change. But at the same time, you're very unlikely to actually affect the change that anything would happen with these rules having been adopted. 
So you've created a situation in which your own studios are given cover, maybe for a couple of years, and maybe that's all you wanted to achieve, but it's unlikely that the nominations, it's unlikely that the award ceremonies that led to comments like this, that led to people posting hashtag Oscars so white will actually change because the way you wrote your rules allows for all these studios to otherwise slide right under and act really like Hollywood has always done with glitz and glamour and smoke and mirrors. This has been Virtual Legality for today. We don't always talk about movies in this space, but when we do, we like to have fun with them and bring in some talk about business and law and rules and statutes. And so if you like this, please like, please subscribe, please ring bells, share around, tell people that we are here. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.